Hey everyone, Amber here. I just need to pop in before I start the show to warn you that the convention discussed, the Geek Creation Show, has had some major changes. The dates are no longer in August. The Geek Creation Show is now November 15th to the 17th. And the city and hotel have also changed. So please ignore the info about the Sheridan in Parsippany and instead book the Radisson in Piscataway, which is in central New Jersey. So once again, the Geek Creation Show is November 15th to 17th in Piscataway, New Jersey. Vodka. 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 Vodka o'clock. Hey everyone, it is Amber Love of Vodka O'Clock Podcast and AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget we are an explicit website and podcast. Joining me today is the one, the only, the producers of the largest conventions in New Jersey and possibly everywhere else uh, with certain genres, Mr. Jeff Mack. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be with you. So we have survived yet another Steampunk World's Fair. You survived it. Yeah. Absolutely dead. Yeah, is it how long does it take you to recover? Um, I would say about a year and a half. Oh, and you so by then you've already had another one. Yes. So it's kind of like sleep deprivation. It just stacks up. Right now, basically if I were not a steampunk and I didn't have a time machine, I probably would be asleep even as we're speaking. Well, that would be a first and a welcome podcast, a sleeping cast. I'd see what sort of, like, unconscious things I could get out of you. I'm told that I say really interesting things when I take an Ambien. <laughs> I've heard that that happens to so many people on that. I mean, they just get up and they can drive a car. I've never tried to drive a car while on Ambien. I try not to drive a car soon after the Steampunk World's Fair either. Connection? Possibly. Maybe so. Um... So we will mainly be talking about the Geek Creation Show, but let's catch up on World's Fair and Wicked Fair and talk about your background and what all is going on. Um, you do all these amazing shows here in New Jersey. Um, let's start with talking about what steampunk is, because every time I mention that I'm going to one of your shows and I say, oh, it's a steampunk show, they're like, well, what is that? So let's start with the basics. Absolutely. So steampunk is an imaginary genre based on a bunch of imaginary ideas, loosely based on things which theoretically aren't supposed to be entirely about Victorian England, but end up being something like 80% about Victorian England, wherein we imagine imaginary things with our imaginations, and then we glue gears onto stuff. Right. I hope you don't mind that highly technical definition, but no. I've heard people's definitions of steampunk, and so far, no one's given me a clearer definition than that. I think uh, I think having uh, creativity and imagination with something that was historical is as close as you're going to get. And then there's the uh, sort of like the, I guess, the genres that came from that. Or I'm not sure what's, which came first. Perhaps cyberpunk came before steampunk. I don't know. Cyberpunk did come before steampunk. Yeah. You can tell because Billy Idol has a cyberpunk album, whereas he does not yet have a steampunk album. Well, that's a damn shame. I know. I would buy that album in a heartbeat. And then there's the, the, the diesel punk as well. Yes. Um, Which probably came after steampunk. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. And um, they a lot of them um, intersect. There's also sort of like the Wild West 
uh, you will see because of the Victorian time period, you will see a lot of uh, Wild West uh, interaction with, um, uh, well, like cowboys and aliens, for example. Um, it's for people who really like both Gears and the ability to shout yee-haw once in a while. That's true. You know, if you like a good train robbery and you like um, a lot of layers of clothing and guns that we don't actually have invented yet, then uh, then steampunk's a great way to go. Well, speaking as an aspiring robber baron, I kind of hate a good train robbery. Aw, I will try to not rob yours then. Thank you. That is one of the sweetest things anyone's ever said to me. But then again, I live in New Jersey. I don't hear a lot of nice things. That's true. Yeah, I know. I just went through two hours of Jersey traffic. I'm drinking vodka. Someone once said that running some of the most pres- sorry, some of the most prestigious events in New Jersey is an awful lot like saying that you have the best dishwater on the block. Yeah, we don't have much here. I mean, we do, but you sort of have to find it and look for it. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot on Vodka O'Clock is um, because people don't know what we have because we're, you know, everything goes to Philly or New York. So um, the fact that we do have horror conventions and we have these steampunk conventions and we do have Renaissance fairs, um, it's just something that uh, – and now they're starting to get some Comic-Cons that are somewhat credible. So um, – why are, you know, why do you do your shows in New Jersey? Well, I love New Jersey, you know. I've always been a Jersey girl. Um, I I think New Jersey is a really fascinating place. It's a place where you get such a mixture of demographics and such a mixture of people. It's a state that is agricultural, urban, suburban, industrial, all at once. Um, you get people coming through New Jersey because of the, New, of the New Jersey Turnpike, which, by the way, I took a three-credit course on when I was in college, looking for America on the New Jersey Turnpike. You've got the New Jersey Turnpike, which just sees more traffic than almost any other road ever. You've got so many people who pass through this way, even though it's sort of located in the kind of upper right corner of America, it's really sort of a hub for the entire East Coast. And, you know, just the fact that it drives me kind of crazy when um, the Newark airport is referred to as Newark, New York, um, just like everything else, like the, the sports ball teams and the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> um, but as a convention organizer and producer, having things like the airport, and uh, I imagine that's got to help somewhat. I mean, we don't have great mass transit. In fact, it pretty much blows. But at least if people who are really interested in fantasy cons, you know, want to get here, they can pretty easily, you know, just fly into Newark and then pop over. Well, one of the things that I would never admit in public is that Newark is actually, I think, probably sort of an ace in the hole for any New Jersey event. Because once an out-of-state person has been in Newark Airport, everything that happens to them afterwards is going to be better. You automatically know that you're going to make somebody's day better by the time they get to your event if they spent time in Newark Airport. Because really, you can't make their day worse. That's a really, really... Important point. (laughs) 
it's um it's always under construction it's it's i don't recommend um unless you know your way around or have really good gps or something i don't recommend like just renting a car and venturing into new jersey unless you are that adventurous um See, I, I would go the other way around. I would say New Jersey is a fantastic state for the adventurous. It is. It, it yeah. definitely is, but you have I, to have that in you. Yeah. We've got 24-hour diners. We've got more 24-hour diners than anyone else. We have there's a weird New diners. Jersey. It's not like there's a, say, a weird Arizona magazine or a, or a weird Oregon magazine, you know? Yeah. I was so proud of Jersey on Saturday because my Saturday was ridiculously Jersey-fied. I was able to make a Saturday appointment for my car inspection, which is glorious having that by appointment only and having it on a Saturday. Um, I went and got my car then filled, which is, you know, full service. You You don't have to get out of your car. And then went to a Jersey diner. It was like... Serious, it was a very serious Saturday. <laughs> what did you eat at the diner? I'm totally curious. Uh, I went for a veggie burger. Yeah, veggie burger and fries. And that was another brilliant thing, actually, that I, I wanted to make sure that I said to you was um, that as soon as I got to World's Fair and I was starving, I was like, I'm not going to be able to eat anything here. And as soon as I got there and saddled up to the bar, a nice gentleman next to me says, try the falafel. I'm like, I love falafel. I'm excited now. And I I had that. Sure enough, another guy sits down on the other side of me, wants to know what's vegetarian on the menu. I'm like, try the falafel. And then a woman comes up behind me, wants to know what's vegetarian. I'm like, this is awesome. This is like the only show where I'm not eating cookies and french fries. You can't see it, but I'm kind of doing a fist bump. In the fist yeah, fist bump. bump. In the Just, yeah, wow. <laughs> but I think I might have steered you a little off topic. Oh, that's okay. We're here to talk about great, great things and, um, you know, what you do. We are um, approaching in this uh, bizarre weather that we're having these days. Your next show is the Geek Creation Show, August 2nd and 4th. And this is, uh, like, unlike the other shows that I've so I want to know everything about geek creation, and I'll sort of just, you know, prod you for, for questions here and there. When I was reading up on the website about it, um, and I'll formally give you guys is geekcreationshow.com. Uh, it sort of reminded me of Maker Fair, but on a different level. So what is... It's sort of a different focus, too. Yeah. So, but it's about... Being, being creative and inventive and hands-on. So what is geek creation really about? Well, I'm really glad that you brought up Maker Fair since we definitely do welcome makers, but there's a really very specific difference in that, let's say, for example, that you're terrible at making things, like, I don't know, me. I am <laughs> really terrible at making things. Um, I'm not entirely sure that I can put four Legos together without injuring myself. <laughs> I, it runs my family. My parents once called a handy person to our place of residence to replace a light bulb. Wow. Yes. Um, Must have been really tricky. Yes. It's not that difficult an operation. Um, It's tidy-righty, lefty-loosey, I think. Or maybe the other way around. I'm not sure. Uh, The person on the other side of the room, the other person in this room, is um, has a master's in electrical engineering and is just trying not to snicker. 
Um, <laughs> but the thing about geek creation is that it's specifically about, it's not necessarily about building things, though you can build things. It's about building a cooler life. It is the only show in the world, as far as I know, which is specifically about giving geeks the opportunity to live cooler, happier, healthier lives as geeks. And that's definitely something that um, there's been really positive movements in the geek community, but then some really, really astonishingly negative uh, movements in the geek community. Um, gender, specifically, is what I'm thinking of. Uh, we're, you know, there's the, the video game conventions are going on right now, and there's just so much bullshit going on about how they're literally treating women that are taking the stage to discuss the software that these people are going to spend their money on, and they're just astounding with their misogyny. And um, in comics, you know, like the best-selling title of the month of May was the new X-Men comic book, and it was a team of all female X-Men. So it obviously doesn't have to do with gender. It has to do with how a product is made, how well it's made. Um, I don't care if you have a penis making a female character. I really don't. I, I care about how well you, you do it. So um, the geek, different various, various geek communities, I think, um, might be a little bit at war these days, but there there are really good avenues to look forward to. And I think cosplay is, um, for all the trouble that's going on there, I think when it comes to things like making stuff, I think it's a, an area where people do come together. You know, you've got your, your armor builders and your spandex sewers and um, people who love to make props and people who are good at movie replicas and special effects and zombie makeup and all that stuff. So it's, it's great when there's a whole team involved in making something really wonderful, don't you think? I completely agree, and I think, actually, you've touched on several points at once that sort of were part of the impetus for this entire show. You know, one of our original thoughts when we were creating the show is, okay, this is sort of a time, it's sort of a renaissance for geeks. It's sort of a time when geeks have become all manner of things that we never expected to be when I was a kid. One of the challenges that we have in terms of, for example, gender is both an internal and external perception of what gender, well, what genders geeks are likely to be and what sorts of gender roles people theoretically might be taking on in the geek community. And outside of the geek community, there's a very powerful perception that a geek is going to be a cisgendered heterosexual male who is terrible at relating to everyone and extra terrible relating to, say, women. And this is completely not true. Not anymore. I mean, there it's not that there is never social awkwardness or social challenge related to being a geek. It's not that there isn't still probably a small majority of cisgendered dudes in the geek world, but these things are fractional at this point. And these external stereotypes sort of give us outside pressure until people start questioning things. And they say, oh, look, there is someone who is a conventionally attractive cisgendered woman. Clearly, she's not a real geek. 
Or, even worse, people don't know how to react because they don't want to perceive geeks that way. One of the things about geek creation is that there are so many amazing resources for living life as a as a geek. So many great things to do. Not just events, but so much going on in geek culture that we are trying to help people not just get educated, not just learn about it, but have a practical, hands-on way of changing their geek lives to do even more cool things or even cooler things or to know more stuff that other geeks don't necessarily know. It's very much about there is an entire world out there for someone who wants to identify as a geek, and there's no single place you can go and have a chance to really learn about all the various resources available and then have people show you how to use them, not just how to build things, but how to change aspects of your life to get better at things, find new geek culture, new geek ideas, and make them a part of your life. This is really, really important to us, and I think it's something that no one's really ever tried to do on a large scale before. No, I definitely agree, because what seems to happen, uh, because I'm mostly at comic book shows, and usually when you're at a very general show, there will be some sort of token panel, and it's usually women in comics or LGBT in comics. And um, it, it it's at the point where it feels token. And I know one female artist who refuses to do a panel like that, Amanda Connor. She will do a being a professional in comics panel, but she will not do a women in comics panel because she doesn't want to be singled out because she has tits. You yeah. know, she's like, I, you know, I've been doing this for this many years. Her mother's a brilliant artist as well. So it's just something she's done her whole life. You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. She just wants, she'd rather be on a panel that recognizes her for her talent, not, you know, for what's, you know, is or is not between her legs. And I, I feel that way sometimes too. I mean, it's like at the same time I'm honored because I know that there are women like, um, you know, Louise Simonson and Trina Robbins, these women who have really been pioneers and really paved the way for, for pop culture. And, you know, I don't want to ever come off like I'm too good for something, for a discussion, but, you know, let them do it. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm honored to be in their shadow. I think that if we're going to look at things like, say, female geeks, what we need to do is look at female geeks as people in geekdom, not, you know, and if we're going to have panels or discussions or workshops relating to female geeks, it's here's stuff for or about female geeks. Just present it like that, as opposed to, wait, there are female geeks? This yeah. is not news, you know? Right. News like, when I was 15 years old, I was kind of surprised to find out that there were, well, maybe not 15. You know, when I was 12 years old, um, this was back in 1987, and our idea of the Internet were these little bulletin board systems where I would get onto my little teeny personal computer and call up someone else's personal computer, and one person could log on at a time and leave messages. And I suppose I was surprised that there were some women participating in this, uh, partly because I'm not entirely sure that I'd spoken to a whole lot of people at all, much less a whole lot of women, when I was 12 in 1987. But i got to tell you, um, when I look at 
the world and I see people reacting to the world now in 2013, and I see adults react to geek women kind of the way I might have reacted to geek women when I was 12 and it was 1987, I kind of feel, where have you been for the past 30 years? Yeah, I. It, it's funny because I sort of, you know, I went through that from the girl's perspective where I was always around boys who liked D&D and, you know, just I, I don't think when I, back when I first visited the Kubert School, I didn't... Uh, I didn't go there as a student, but I later, you know, it was great. I ended up working there. But um, I, I don't even think I, I was too nervous to even look around and see if there were any other female students. Like, it didn't even dawn on me to think that was a male thing. Like, I just wanted to, I just wanted to draw. And I got just so intimidated by the industry that I didn't do it. But um, it's. You sort of have to maybe, I don't know, I guess maybe people are much more observant than I am, but it's not something I would have noticed unless somebody pointed it out to me. I think people continue to have some very outdated ideas about gender, gender roles, what people can do. I mean, in 2013, why are people asking questions about whether women can do things that men can do? Why is that a question? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's part of my steampunk life. But we do a benefit show at Historic Speedwell, which is the birthplace of the Telegraph. And they were doing a tour of the house. And the house included a shower. And the tour guide was saying, and women were not allowed to take showers back in the 19th century. And I said, why not? And they said, well, doctors decided that the showers, the showers had water pressure which would permanently destroy the weak female spine. And I said, you're kidding me. She said, no. And she said, you have to remember, these are people who weren't necessarily allowed to actually practice on women in medical school. They were doing what they were told based on second or third-hand accounts. And I said, you're kidding. That's crazy. And she said, I'm not kidding, and it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it all depended on whatever cadaver came their way, but yeah, yeah there, there, and there are still some uh, very more tribal cultures that segregate the women during their menstrual cycles and stuff like that. And it's like, boy, could you imagine that? Could you imagine if we had to go off into our own hut? I don't know. Maybe it'd be nice. Maybe it'd be a vacation. I don't know. I mean, it's not entirely. It's not as if that's entirely an indigenous practice or an outward practice. It's, I mean, there there are some cultures in America which still hold similar beliefs. Active living cultures which have those beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you start, um, you know, wondering why why what you think is normal is... um, not for somebody else and um, just thinking about creative processes and thinking about how you know there are there are female artists who will draw characters or design characters in skimpy costumes just because they you know they think it's beautiful but then everybody says you know but you shouldn't think that way because it's it's anti-feminist it's just um I think it's it puts them in a harder position 
it's a challenging playing field, you know? Yeah. You, on the one hand, you have this understanding of market realities, which say things like, it is seldom a poor marketing move if you're trying to appeal to the widest possible demographic to use someone who might be on the covers of Cosmopolitan wearing something that might be from the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. In ordinary advertising for a mass audience, it's not necessarily, it's probably going to be your safest bet. It's just like the old expression, nobody ever went broke buying a Microsoft product. It may or may not be the right thing to do. It's something that is tried and true and (laughs) not being true. But at the same time, that's one of the things I love about something like geek culture, where we can start to acknowledge, you know, there are a lot of complex pieces to this puzzle, and let's go and look at them. There's a lot of complex stuff about gender. I'm really happy that geek culture is one of the cultures that's beginning to embrace the idea of gender as a construct as opposed to gender as simply a pure function of biology. Or uh, yeah, I think I think it is uh, the, like you said, it's, it's geek culture, and I don't know if it came out of, it's just something that, that organically happened from the evolution of science fiction, but I just feel like it's sort of, um, at least the first time I noticed anything like that, it was always something introduced by, like, an alien race and, you know, sort of became uh, introduced to human beings that way, you know? See, I've never failed to perceive human beings as anything other than a completely alien race. <laughs> is it just us against you, or is it all of us in general together? <laughs> I'm an alien race also. All right. All a bunch of weird, strange beings. Um, that is true. Now, now, part of the, um, you know, one of the other geek avenues is science. There's science fiction, which we enjoy thoroughly with steampunk, but then there's just straight up science. And um, it's nice to see that some stuff is starting to be uncovered. The other, uh, I wish I, I had it at my fingertips, but the other day I read an article about um, a, a female scientist who basically helped decipher codes, and she was really the instrumental person who did the code cracking. And um, it, the Nobel Prize went to the man that hired her. Um, and... I, you know, I would like to think that this is something that is now changing now that it's being, at least being acknowledged in media, um, different forms of media, like, you know, hey, by the way, there was like, you know, the woman behind the man sort of a thing, you know, and there's just a lot of examples of that. And science uh, is going to be, I think, a, a nice focus of the Geek Creation Show because you are um, donating the proceeds, or how much of the proceeds, I don't know, to the Tesla We're Museum. 100% of the profits of the event to the Tesla Science Center at Wardenclyffe, a.k.a. the Tesla Museum. Yes. It is a 100% benefit event. All the profits go to the museum. Yes. This is fantastic. Now, is this the museum that just had the Indiegogo campaign? Uh, yes, it was the museum that had that huge campaign yes. via the oatmeal. Okay. 
So it was, um, I think they were asking for $800,000 to get the property where the, the tower had been, but the bulk of the, the building and the property were still in place. So they were looking for like eight hundred or eight hundred and fifty thousand, and then somebody was offering like a matching grant or something. And it came; they ended up raising an Indiegogo one point three million dollars. Yes, they raised a tremendous amount of money. It was fantastic, and they were able to purchase the property. And now they're in the long process of trying to rehabilitate the buildings and reconstruct some of the buildings and put the museum together, put together the staff and all the other things involved in making the museum happen. You know, it's Tesla lived an incredibly complex life and had so many inventions and did so much trying to create a, a good museum to represent his work, particularly if you're trying to reconstruct things that had been destroyed by some people, say, folks who might have had an actual interest in trying to make sure people forgot Tesla, right. it is no small undertaking. Right. And But since they reached more than their goal, why is it important for you for your proceeds to go to the museum? Uh, that is a great question. Remember that the goal of it was to make sure that they could purchase the land. Right. And have the land and start work on the museum. But it wasn't a Kickstarter that said, with $800,000, we can buy the land, build the museum, get the exhibits together, put everything else. It still, it still requires a great deal of money. Um, my understanding is that it's still a couple of million dollars away from all the things that they really need to do to make it a full-fledged, viable museum. I mean, making a good museum is no inexpensive undertaking. They have the land. They now know that it's not going to be made into a parking lot or a duplex or a series of condominiums, and that's great. But one of the most challenging times for an organization is after it's had a very successful fundraiser, everyone can rightfully say, well, okay, great, we just did something wonderful, and then they turn their attention to other things, which is completely understandable. But if you have a large undertaking that still needs more to get it across the finish line, that's when you really, really need to start pushing. That's when it suddenly goes into a difficult period because you're no longer in the middle of a big fundraiser, yet you still have this need for funds. Yeah, I think that's um, something that a lot of museums suffer and why they their annual giving is so important to them and they start with their telemarketing phone calls and their campaign drives and their, you know, it's really hard to to get people to give routinely. And we have an American tradition. My understanding is that it's not just limited to this country, but I really have mostly visited museums in this country. Um, that's a really great museum the last time I was in Shanghai. But I don't know if that counts because I, I didn't actually wasn't actually able to communicate anything at all and did it all through my husband, who also doesn't speak Chinese. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, you know, we have a tradition in this country where, in general, museums are either inexpensive to get into or a suggested donation. We try to make museums as accessible as possible. We don't necessarily say, we don't treat museums like, say, amusement parks. I mean, I can get more out of a day at the Museum of Natural History than I could at Great Adventure. But I'll tell you that Great Adventure is going to take a lot more out of my wallet, no matter what, 
And we have this really important tradition of trying to make museums as accessible, as available as possible. And to do that, you need to have a source of support outside of just people who walk into the museum. You need to reach people who feel that museums are important and want to help them stay alive. And that's one of the things that we really... Well, we really feel that the geek community is a great community for trying to advance the cause of learning, particularly if it's about learning that involves Tesla coils. Right. And um, now, we're, you know, we were talking about how we're both here in, in New Jersey, and one thing that we do have is a lot of acknowledgement of, you know, Tesla's former employer and then competitor, Edison. So, you know, is is there any sort of, like, weird, uh, you know, loyalty thing that you, that you have to wrestle with and say, you know, but, but this is the Edison side? <laughs> I will admit that I really haven't had a whole lot of loyalty to Thomas Edison ever since I started doing more research into his work. I mean, again, I'm not the electrical engineer in this room. I'm not trying to say that Thomas Edison... There is a conception, particularly among some steampunks, which simply sees Tom Edison as being an evil person who took other people's work and made money off it. And Tom Edison did some real serious, legitimate, valuable work. It's just that when you have a question of something like Tesla versus Edison, the it is clear that Edison felt that his back was to the wall and he had to either beat Tesla at any cost in the ACDC battle or lose a great deal of his power and funding. And whether he did that because he was a businessman trying to protect his business or because he was a terrible, horrible, slimy person, I would leave to a historian. As um, I think as a steampunk, I'm not allowed to like Edison even if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> we, actually, we actually do have a specific program that we've not yet put on the Geek Creation website, uh, part of our entertainment programming is uh, how to succeed in business without ever actually inventing anything of your own, a defense of Thomas Edison. Oh, I love the sound of this. <laughs> it is um, a rather satirical defense by the most sarcastic member of our staff. Uh, it's um, We did a, a small benefit called Drinking for science. and uh, I'm doing that right now. Well, good, good. Carry on the good work. Carry on the good work. We did a miniature version. We did sort of a roast of Mr. Tesla, and uh, this person, Tom Sales, as Edison, was the MC, And he spent a whole lot of time talking about how, you know, it's one of those things where he said a lot of really funny things. If I try to quote them, it's not going to sound funny because I just don't have his sense of timing and his words. Um, it's like, how many Thomas Edison's does it take to change a light bulb? Um, I don't know. I'm going to say none. <laughs> That's right, none. He doesn't change light bulbs. He just steals them from other people. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that that's that's going to be a really fun, uh, you know, workshop or entertainment uh, venue. I think part of the idea of geek creation is really the same 
as all of our events, which is that everything you do, if you're running a festival, which is what we do, we do festivals, sort of conventions, wild, crazy gatherings of nerdy people. Everything we do pretty much should be fun, even the really serious things. Because um, we could have taken a much more specifically serious approach. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm I'm a book nerd. I'm kind of a, an academia nerd. It would have been really cool to do a very academic, very relatively dry sort of event, very traditional style convention. It could have been, say, the Edison versus Tesla convention. That would have been an interesting subject. And I'll be honest, it would have been a more approachable subject. People would have looked at it and immediately said, okay, I know exactly what that is and whether or not I want to go. Whereas with the Geek Creation Show, where we're trying to do something that no one's ever done before, there's a whole lot of education involved. There's a whole lot of my explaining. No, this is about workshops for living a more awesome, geeky life. And then I explain what that means. There's a real... It's it's harder than it would be if we were just doing something that was flat out. Here it is. We're going to talk about Tesla. We're going to talk about Edison. That's it. Yeah, because then it would just feel like a school field trip. Yeah, that's the thing. And the it's, thing about Geek Creation is when you arrive, you're going to notice a lot of people having fun. Even though this is workshop-driven, it's not, say, a festival like the Steampunk World Fair. It's not driven by music and entertainers and shows and so on. It's driven by fun. It's driven by everything that we do should be a good time. So will you have um, have any sort of performers like that? Because it's one of the things that I know, like, your particular group of people – um, you know, like you have Wick and Jamie Hatton and the belly dancers and, and everybody. I'm used to seeing these people who are vaudeville performers. And I don't know what to expect from Geek Creation because I've never seen it before. So, you know, what's going to be going on? Well, actually, the entertainment segment is the part we're doing last only because it's the part we honestly know so well. It's We've put on a lot more entertainment than we have workshops in our lives. Um, I am going to be announcing our two major social events as soon as I get back from China. So in about, oh, ten days or so, um, I will tell you, and I haven't told this to anybody else yet, so nobody outside the team knows this, that one of our nights is going to be a big nerdy carnival. All right. So we're going to have carnival entertainers, blockheads, juggling, very possibly fire. Um, Very possibly, we always need to check the local regulations quite carefully on that, but we strongly suspect there's going to be a bunch of stuff that is aflame, and there are going to be carnival games. There's going to be assorted activities, hucksters, tricks, good-natured ones. And all kinds of really cool stuff associated with a wild, crazy, super nerdy carnival. I think that's really wild. And one of the things that I do think about, and I don't know if maybe this this is probably just like movie influence and television show influence. Um, When I think about the time period of these inventions, um, I think about stage magicians and illusionists and those amazing... The, the engineering that they created. And I don't, it's just something that I guess, I guess if you're really 
like a magic buff, you would understand these things. But otherwise, people just want to go and keep their illusion, watch the show. They don't want to know how it works. Or they'll say, oh, tell me how it works, tell me how it works. But then it breaks it. I mean, um, but then there's the other people who want to say, tell me how it works, because they want to build it. (laughs) Um, Penn and Teller are great for that. (laughs) Penn and Teller are fantastic for that. I don't want to break the magician's code. The last thing I want is for a whole bunch of magicians to come after me. Next thing you know, I'll be stuffed into a box, and then I'll be sawed in half, and I hate it when that happens. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, I, at least you regrow. You're like, you know, Wolverine. <laughs> I'm exactly like Wolverine. Who told you? <laughs> it's all of the fur, the furry face that you got. <laughs> hey, no fair. I turned off my camera. <laughs> You know, it's it's been great. It's been fascinating putting this together. It's been fascinating trying to think about what geeks would really love. For example, geeks traditionally, many geeks, not every geek, geeks traditionally love bacon, right? Right. But how many events, lots of things, lots of places you go, people will talk about bacon. How many events are going to teach you how to be a bacon genius? How, how many of them are going to get someone like the author of the Plus Five Book of Eating the geek cookbook to come in and give a talk on different kinds of bacon and what kinds of bacon are really good for crispiness, thickness, chewiness, smokiness, how to assess bacon, where to get the best bacon from, things like that. Um, But not a lot of events are going to teach you how to find, say, hidden secrets of the Internet. I mean, everybody can Google, but there's still really cool things out on the Internet that most people haven't heard of. There's a lot of different stuff out there for various ways that geeks could theoretically become more athletic if they want to or get in better shape. We're taking a couple of people who are experts in sports fitness who are also geeks who are going to not just talk about various ways that people can use some current technologies to get more fit, but show people how to do it and show people how to really enjoy it. Um, You know, a lot of things like that, a lot of really hands-on workshops for coming out at the end of the weekend happier with more knowledge, with more abilities than when you came in, really just leveling you up like crazy. Yeah, I noticed uh, that there was um, that food and drinking was going to be a whole experience in in itself, you know, different from the other shows where – you know, you're literally just like, you know, focusing on on food for sustenance, whereas this is going to have, you know, like you said, these educational moments with food. Um, and I know there's normally absence tasting at World Fair. So what sort of drinking are you incorporating? You know, we've been doing a whole lot of talking back and forth about that. There's been discussion of a craft beer tasting. I think that's appropriate. I think that's appropriate, too. It's just that craft beer is actually a little more expensive than something like an absinthe tasting, so we're a little worried about the price point. Uh-huh. Uh, there's been talk about... There's certainly a great deal of mixology going on in our workshops. We're thinking about having some interesting mixology available at the bar as well. Uh, a lot of it really depends on a, a careful negotiation with the hotel, one of the basic challenges of working with almost any hotel 
the hotel I'm currently sitting in, the Radisson of Piscataway, is one notable exception to that rule, is that they really prefer that you work from their menus whenever possible. And if you come to them with a bunch of crazy ideas, they will tend to do a lot of blinking, and you have to sort of sit down and say, no, no, here's how this will work, here's what we'll do, here's how to do this, here's the distributor you, here's the distributor you can use. It can be very complicated, and we we try hard to make sure we know exactly what we're going to be offering before we actually get it out there. And we've been talking about what alcohol we're going to have for about two months. I'll admit I can actually talk about alcohol for two months just <laughs> with anybody. But don't quite know yet. You'll have to ask me a little later after I get back from China. Yeah, and I'm sure everything will be uh, updated as uh, as it's discovered. Oh, heck, there's more content going on the website later tonight. We're updating the website every couple of days. There's just so much being added to it. Well, I, I'm just noticing this, the uh, superhero training self-defense against zombies that I, I didn't notice before. That's because it wasn't there before. Yeah. I think so. that went up in the past 24 hours. Yes. So I know that there's um, some people are using this uh, zombie app for their running training where it, like, plays the appropriate... Uh, movie soundtrack type music and then yells at you when they're getting closer to you so that you go faster on your, your training. Um, so you have, uh, so you have some zombie escape type training and, uh. Very important stuff, that. Yeah. And, uh, is this, is this Nerf? Am I looking at an aw- awesome Nerf missile launcher? Yes, you are. That's from, that's from our, Awesome Geeky Gadgets Under $20 segment. Um, we go through the pain and difficulty of ordering a lot of gadgets off the Internet, and we're reviewing them all. Oh, I tell you, it's a, it's a difficult struggle. I'm, to sure, I'm sure. Toys. And we're going to take some of our favorite ones, then we're going to show you where we got them, what they do, and, of course, we're going to let people play with them. That's great. Now, um is I noticed that there's a special section for kids, and I was surprised at how many kids I saw at World's Fair because I always think of it as such an adult-oriented adult show, but um, but a lot of parents just love to, to have their kids involved in their lives, you know, no matter how, how unusual their, their lifestyle and hobbies might be. So what sort of stuff would a geeky kid be able to look forward to? Oh, man, what a great question. Well, for one thing, um, one thing that you can notice if you hang out with kids, if you are a kid, if you have kids, there's a lot of really terrible children's entertainment out there. I mean, <laughs> even now, even now with the Internet, when where we get to push so many barriers, um, I mean, when I was a kid growing up, pretty much children's entertainment fell into two categories either kids' songs that were 50 or 100 years old, like folk tunes, which are cool. Folk tunes is cool. Folk tunes is cool. Folk tunes are cool. Ethnomusicology is cool. Um, or it would be people's modern songs for kids, and people's modern songs for kids would tackle such challenging subjects as go to bed on time, uh, brush your teeth, uh, don't, don't yell at your teacher, things like that. It's really hard to find stuff that's really interesting for kids. That's going to be, like, I'd say, kids should listen to, to uh, the Aquabats more often. 
Mm-hmm. I think the kid can learn a whole lot more from a song like The Cat with Two Heads than they can from the entire collected works of the Telesubbies. Um, <laughs> there's Barry Lewis Polisar, great children's music, uh, musician who was at one of our events, one of our other benefit events, the Totally Normal event, who has a whole bunch, just look up some of his music. He's got great songs about, um, like his song, Never Cook Your Sister in a Frying Pan, which is <laughs> a really good piece of advice. Um, or actually a song that I performed at the Steampunk World's Fair for our Children's Corner. I performed one of his songs, um, which is almost about being a vegetarian. It's about someone who has con- who uh, decided not to go and eat animals anymore, and then they decided they didn't want to be a vegetarian either. It's called I Eat Kids. <laughs> oh, no. Um, it's a great song. There's some really great kids' entertainment out there, and not everyone is, a vi- is aware of what it is. Um, there are some really interesting resources on the Internet for geek kids, and there's a lot of question about how do you raise your kid as a geek? What do you do? There is still a very serious problem of geek bullying. Yeah, How do you combat well. bullying? How do you fight that? We still have a fairly anti-intellectual culture in this country. If you want to raise your kid as a kind of nerdy kid, you know, what do you do when your woman says, hey, other people are laughing at me because I'm reading these books instead of doing this other activity that everyone else is doing. I don't know what uh, what young kids are doing, uh, twerking or something. Okay, hopefully young kids are not twerking. Hopefully nobody is twerking. Hopefully they will, I'm, yeah, uh, but they will copy. They're little parroting, copying, mimicking, you know, yes, beings. I saw that. I saw that just a little while ago, actually. I saw that not, not four or five days ago. Um, there was a mother with her daughter, and her daughter was probably three years old. And some music came on, and three-year-olds started twerking. And I'm like, I, I'm, this is not right. And the yeah. mother was like, honey, no, 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 let me show you a different way to dance. Let me show you a different way to do this. Um, and also, if you want to raise, if you want to raise smart kids, thoughtful kids, kids who ask a lot of questions, well, then you, you figure that as a parent, you're going to get asked a whole lot of questions, and that's not always easy. If you want to teach your kid to speak up, perhaps question authority, that's a really great ideal. And then what do you do when that authority being questioned is you? Um, one of the workshops that's in the planning stages is tentatively titled, um, What the Heck Do I Do Now? Confessions of a Terrified Geek Parent. Parenting is very challenging, and it's interesting to get practical advice from other parents. Um, we're also looking at a workshop tentatively called I don't really mind that my parents are giant dorks, but I really wish they would just sort of become invisible whenever my friends are around, because my parents are giant dorks. And did I mention that my parents are giant dorks? <laughs> you know, what do you do as a kid if your parents are in a culture that still doesn't necessarily respect geekiness? What do you do if your parents are big, massive geeks, you know? Other people's parents are showing up in, say, sports jerseys and and ties, and your parents are... Not everybody's, you know, mom or dad can be, you know, a firefighter or something cool, you know? 
Yeah, no. Like some of them, like I think of Ron Possible, uh, I mean, Ron Stoppable from Kim Possible. And it was like his dad was like an insurance actuary or something, something dreadfully boring. (laughs) My father is a wonderful guy and he is a CPA. He doesn't understand me very well. Uh, I'm not sure I understand him very well. He is a great, great guy. But I can tell you that I really wish as a geeky kid we'd had something, we'd had a chance for what we hope to offer at Geek Creation, which is a chance for parents and kids or other folks who spend a lot of time relating to kids, whether it's a, a nephew, a niece, um, something like that, to come together and experience stuff at once and sort of look at things from both sides. Yeah, I think that um, that there's going to be a lot of diversity, as usual, at this show, um, as there are at all of your shows. Let's get uh, the basic information so that uh, people know where to get tickets, how much they are, what hotel they're going to, and all that good stuff. Absolutely. The Geek Creation Show, that is, as you were kind enough to mention earlier, www.geekcreationshow.com. Actually, I guess it's 2013. I don't really need to include the www, do I? Yeah, no, they don't even show up in the URL anymore. <laughs> that is August 2nd through 4th at the Sheraton of Parsippany, a gigantic hotel shaped like a castle. It's very and cool. It's Yeah. like a castle. And that's in Parsippany, New Jersey. It's the intersection of, like, four different highways. You can get to it pretty easily from pretty much anywhere within 300 or 400 miles of New Jersey and really easily from anywhere within New Jersey itself. And the best tickets to buy for the weekend would be the VIP tickets at $42 a piece. Um, And that gets you the entire weekend, the whole weekend from Friday afternoon. We start earlier than our events usually do, Friday afternoon rather than Friday evening, until Sunday going a little later than usual, Sunday early evening instead of Sunday afternoon, whole weekend, all the entertainment, all the workshops, everything, plus you get your tickets mailed to you. All right. And um, so let's say uh, I wonder if there's anything else that we need to know. You have a contact page and a frequently asked questions page. Um, is there any consideration of weather at this point, like, or is everything going to be indoors? At the moment, everything in this particular show is indoors. Um, it's a really, really huge hotel. There's a lot of indoor space. We're looking at the possibility of some outdoor space if um, if we use this venue next year, which at the moment we plan to because it's a great, great venue. But right now we've got so much indoor space, we're not really worried about it. Okay. Um Again, the the website is being updated as often as possible. Um, the exhibitors list is up and you know changing. Um, and let's see. There's we are still seeking sponsors if you would like to help a good cause. Um, we are still looking to speak to brilliant, talented journalists such as yourself. Thank you. If other folks out there would like to interview us or write about us, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get people's questions. We are still accepting workshop applications. We have a heck of a lot of workshops. But we have not finalized things. We still have room for more. And we really appreciate it if people would spread the word. We, this is a large event. As a charity event, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, 
it costs a whole bunch of money to rent a hotel this size. This is not a small-scale event. Uh, we really have just had great things done for us by the geek community. You know, It's why I'm able to visit my husband in China, because we've just gotten such support. And we really, we really put our money where our mouth is. We're really going all the way to try to provide a huge, huge benefit show. And a lot of the time with a, an event that's a benefit, the prices go up because of the benefit. But because we really know how to run events, we're really experienced with it, we actually have lower prices than you'd expect for a weekend-long event. And so I think that's a serious benefit. I think people are really going to find this to be a fantastic show, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more people come out and see what it is and check it out and have a great weekend. Yeah, it's definitely... Um it's it's a great thing to do, you know, right at the height of summer. So there's, you know, it's uh it's easy to just sort of want to run off to the swimming pool or the beach or whatever. But like take out, you know, two or three days and do something where there's education and science and a whole lot of really fun people. Um, and it's going to the Tesla Museum, which is just phenomenal. And there is a swimming pool, in fact. So you don't oh, miss out on that part. There that's is true. largely a swimming pool. That's true. Um, and it is a really a, a, a beautiful hotel, as Jeff said. So, Jeff, thank you so much for, for your time, because I know that you've got 8 million things to do. It's been a real pleasure. I'm really, really glad for the opportunity to talk to you. Um, so you have a wonderful, safe trip over to China and back. Thank you so much. Um, and I will be seeing you in August. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. All right, everybody, uh, don't forget, it's uh, geekcreationshow.com. You can uh, follow the Steam World's Fair Twitter and follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. Um, as always, uh, enjoy yourselves, be safe, love one another, and all that other good stuff. And now go make some science, folks. Hey guys, Amber back here again just reminding you that the information you heard about the Geek Creation Show has changed. The dates are November 15th to the 17th in Piscataway, New Jersey, so it will be in the Radisson Hotel. Make sure that you change any reservations that you may have had, and uh, don't forget that it is the 15th to the 17th of November in Piscataway.